Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Sermon of the Week. This podcast hosts the weekly Sunday service message from Zion Fellowship, a spirit-led and life-giving local church in Canandaigua, New York, pastored by Chris and Joan Wood. We hope this resource encourages, challenges, and helps you in your journey with God. So whether you're driving, washing dishes, or sitting in your living room, let's prepare our hearts together as we hear the word of the Lord. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Colossians chapter 4. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're talking about the values of this house, the values of Zion Fellowship. We've already talked about uh, some of the values. We've talked about how we value the Word of God here. Uh, Last week, I talked to you about the value of worship, and I put it in the context of why it is important for us, not only individually, but as a corporate body, to have core values, things that we hold on to because they help us to go steady in uh, all that God's called us to do. Um, This morning, I want to talk to you about the value of prayer. And here at Zion Fellowship, we value prayer. And I want to talk to you about that in the context of, of this portion of Scripture in Colossians as the Apostle Paul is talking to a group of believers about prayer. There are four aspects that uh, he is going to cite in uh, a couple of verses that I think weave into our understanding of the importance of prayer and why all throughout Scripture we're called to be a people of prayer. Amen? Have you noticed that as you've read your Bibles? Everywhere it talks about prayer. Everywhere it talks about the importance of prayer. F.B. Meyer, uh, an author, uh, wrote a book called The Secret of Guidance. And in that book, he, he says this. He says, The great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Let me read that again. He says, The great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. I heard a story recently of a man who was flying his uh, private plane, a small uh, Cessna, and he got into a bit of trouble, and so he called the control tower, and he said, pilot to tower, I'm about 300 miles out from the airport, I'm 600 feet above the ground, and I'm out of fuel, I am descending rapidly, please advise, over, to which he got a response, tower to pilot, repeat after me, our father, who art in heaven. In 1952, Albert Einstein was speaking to a group of uh, doctrinal students uh, about their dissertation, what they were going to be writing about and researching about. And one of the students says, what's left in the world that's original that I could write a dissertation on? And after just giving it a little bit of thought, Einstein replied, find out about prayer. Somebody must find out about prayer. Isn't that interesting? So I want to talk about four aspects of prayer and how they fit into this value, this core belief here at Zion Fellowship. And it's obvious that as you read any of Paul's writings, that Paul made prayer a part of his life, and, and it, it's, it's basic that in his writing he expected that you and I would make prayer a part of our life. A couple of things I want to say about that before we actually get right into the text, and first of all, just a couple of statements in prayer to kind of zero us in on, on where I'm going to be going in this message. Number one, I believe prayer is what I call the pipeline of communion between God and his people. 
that when we talk about prayer, it's just not some duty that we do. It's just not some discipline that we're called to be about. But it's, it's literally an invitation from the Lord to enter into communion with Him, to enter into relationship with Him. So when I'm talking about prayer, I'm not just talking about a duty, and I'm not just talking about a discipline. I'm talking about this invitation that God has offered to us to commune with Him and to be with Him. And then secondly, I like using it in this term, that I say prayer is like going home to Jesus. In John chapter 15, that great chapter where Jesus talks about the importance of abiding in Him. If you do study on that word abide, obviously you're going to find that it means to remain. But also, also it, remains to, it also means to dwell. It, it, it's talking about this continuous or conscious turning to Jesus. I want you to start thinking about prayer like going home to be with Jesus. If you take the word abide and you translate it as going home, let me share with you how I sometimes read John chapter 15. And I'm not trying to change the message, but listen to how it could read. Jesus speaking to us says, make your home in me and I'll make my home in you. In the seventh verse of chapter 15, it says, If you make your home in me, and my words make their home in you, ask whatever you will. A lot of times when we're talking about abiding and dwelling and remaining in Jesus and dwelling in the Lord, we fail to observe in John chapter 15 that one of the focuses that Jesus is making in regards to abiding with him is in the context of prayer. He says, if you're communing with me, if you're remaining in me, if you're coming home to be with me, if you're dwelling with me, then from that place, as my word makes it home in your life, from that place, pray. From that place, whatever you ask, you will receive. I find that so many believers are in, in this day, in this hour, they're overextended. They're, they're, they're doing more for Jesus than their inner life can actually sustain. And so what happens is we're doing for Jesus and we're burning out or we're frustrated or, or, or we're just uh, kind of anxious all the time or fearful all the time. But I want to just throw out a concept to you today that I'm learning myself, and it's this, that doing for Jesus flows out of being with Jesus. And we say amen to that, but I think so many believers, it's a foreign concept. Because we look at prayer as just one more thing we're supposed to be doing. One more, you know, duty that, that we're supposed to be doing. But, but doing for Jesus, and doing for Jesus is important, but let's recognize that it flows out of being with Jesus. And that was really the whole Mary-Martha issue, wasn't it? Martha came to Jesus, and you can read this in Luke chapter 10. She came to Jesus, and, and, and you know, she's all kind of uptight because they're in Jesus' house. The house is full. She's running to and fro, doing, serving, blessing. And, and she looks at Jesus and she says, listen, 
Say something to Mary right now. I could use a little help. Aren't you concerned that Mary is just sitting at your feet and she's not chipping in and helping out here? And Jesus looks at Martha. He doesn't scold her. He doesn't bawl her out. He just says, you know, Martha, Martha, you're concerned over many things. But Mary has chose, one translation says, the best meal, and it won't be taken from her. What is Jesus saying? He's, he's not elevating Mary over Martha. He's not saying that one is better than the other. He's just saying, you've got to, Martha, you've got to get this thing in proper order. That you're doing for me has to be birthed out of your being with me. And Mary understands that. He, that's all Jesus is saying to Martha. Mary understands this, that she's not going to be able to do as effectively as I want her to do if she's always running around, always being busy, always about duty, and not being about being with me. See, God wants your life, He wants my life marked by a deep communion with Him so that from that place we actually have something to share with others. So this may sound like an easy concept, but here are some of the things that I wrote in my journal recently as I was just confronting myself over this because I find sometimes in the ministry that I can just be about doing, getting this done, getting that done, responding to this need, responding to that need, making sure this is covered, making sure this person gets a call from me, making sure I'm over here talking to this one, making sure I'm studying, making sure I'm prepared, making sure that the service is ready to go, making sure that we're, and, and I can find myself running from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing and then all of a sudden realize that I have nothing left in me and I'm like, why is that? And the Lord just called me up short recently and he said, it's because you're doing before you're being with me. And I'm like, well, wait, I do devotionals. I give you some time, don't I? And he's like, well, yeah, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being with me, communing with me, abiding with me, dwelling with me. And I'm like, I thought I was. Well, it's like, you're giving it a good try, but. And so I said, so, okay, talk to me, God. And he says, I'll only talk to you if you'll make a radical decision to change the way you're living your life. And that's the first thing. If you're going to be before you do, it takes a radical decision to change something. You've got to look at your overall life and, and decide what needs to change. And one of the things that needed to change in me, and I don't know about you, but this is what I needed to do. I needed to confront my inner chaos. How many of you know what I'm talking about, inner chaos? Just... All the things that are making a demand. All the things. Don't forget to do this. Don't forget to call this one. Make sure you're over here. Make sure. Make sure. Make sure. All this inner chaos that was just stirring stuff in me. And the Lord's saying, if you don't realize what's going on in the interior of your world, you'll never realize what really I am after in your heart and through your life. 
And I had to confront it. I had to confront the, 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 the sometimes the anger that would just rise up within me out of nowhere. I'd just find myself getting angry. And Joan would say, well, why are you angry? And I'm like, I don't know. Just let me be angry for a minute. And she's like, well, what are you mad about? And I'm like, I don't know. I just, I want to be mad. I want to kick the dog, but we don't have a dog, you know? It's just, ah. So pray for Joan. <laughs> she has to deal with me. And so I said, Lord, I'm willing. I'm, I, I'll, I'll confront the chaos, the inner chaos. And, and, and so I'm like, Lord, show me. Show, and, and I'm doing all this talking, and I'm doing all this, what I thought was communion with God. And I'm sitting there, and I feel like the Lord says, would you just be quiet? Not mean-spirited, just, would you just quiet your soul for a minute? Just, would you integrate, I put it this way, integrate silence into your routine. I'm telling you, that was a struggle. And I'm working on it right now. I'm just like, God, help me in this. And so here's what my morning looks like now. I get up and I prioritize things. First thing I do is I grab a cup of coffee. You got to prioritize things. And before I open my Bible, or before I look at my phone, or before I open my computer, I find a quiet place in my house. Now, some of you, I'm, I'm looking out there, and you've got four or five kids at home, and you're like, good luck in my house. I think it was, I think it was Pastor Mark who said, quiet goes to die in his house, you know. But I'm, a, I'm at a place now where I can just find a room in my house and just sit in silence. And I'm not praying, per se, and I'm not trying to find a verse for the day, and I'm, not, I'm just quiet and I'm stilling, stilling my soul and this is what I've begun to do recently I've begun to just say Father is there anything you want to say to me today is there anything you want to speak into my life today is there anything and I just sit there quietly and I want to encourage every one of us to begin to practice the discipline of silence how many of you think you can do this how many of you look at your house situation and go, good luck in my home, finding silence in my home? But it's this idea of communing with Jesus, not only at the beginning of the day, but all throughout the day. Now, I know my doing, and this is, I'm, I'm being really transparent with you before we get into Colossians. But I know my doing is exceeding my being when, these are some of the indicators in me, I can't shake the pressure from having too much to do in too little time. Or I'm ignoring the stress, the anxiety, or the tightness in my body. I'm just ignoring it. I'm acting like it doesn't exist. How many of you have ever been sitting there and just all of a sudden had your heart start going? Do any of you stop and say, God, what's that all about? Or do you do something else? I know my doing exceeds my being when I am concerned what others think. I know I don't appear that way, but 
I'm concerned about what pe people think about me. And so I'm, I'm carrying around, well, what are they saying now? What are they thinking now? What are, and, and Jesus says, just commune with me and I'll let you know what I think about you. And, okay? I'm fearful about the future or I'm always rushing around or I'm, how about this one? I'm defensive and easily offended. Am I hitting home on any of these? Because this is what goes on in me. When I'm more busy doing than being, here are some other things that happen. I am preoccupied and distracted. I fire off quick opinions and judgments. I feel unenthusiastic about the success of others. And I spend more time talking than listening. Those are just some of the indicators in me. And I believe what God is trying to get at, and I believe why we make this a priority in this house of worship, this congregation of believers, that prayer is the answer. Prayer is what we need to understand. And this is what Paul is talking about. So join me again. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. I'm actually going to read 2 through 6, but 2 through 4 is where Paul is talking about prayer. And he begins by saying, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in change, that I may speak it or I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. And then he concludes the thought by saying, you therefore walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. There are four aspects in these verses of prayer that I want to bring you uh, to. Uh, they're, they're probably aspects or principles that you've seen before. But I want to bring them before us again because we're talking about the core values of this, this church. And prayer is one of those core values. Number one, Paul says, he begins by saying, pray with persistence or pray with perseverance. Devote yourselves to prayer. The New American Standard Bible translates it that way. The New King James that I read from you for you says, continue earnestly in prayer. The original language says, continue steadfastly in prayer. And when you translate the, the idea of continue steadfastly, it's actually one word and it means persist in this, adhere firmly to it, remain devoted to it, give unremitting care to it. It carries the idea of dedication. Be, be dedicated to be a person of prayer would be another way that Paul could have said it to them. Now, realize that as he's saying this, he's not saying be dedicated to the duty of prayer. He's saying be dedicated, be persistent at prayer because it is your pathway or your pipeline into communion with God. Therefore, give yourself to this. Devote yourself to this. That's why Jesus, when he taught about prayer and he gave parables about prayer, in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, he says, Now Jesus was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and to not lose heart. 
He goes into these parables. Jesus taught about prayer in the context of stay devoted to this. Stay dedicated to this. Continually, steadfastly give yourself to, now think about it, communion with me. In Luke, he he also says it this way. In Luke chapter 11, verse 9, he says, ask and it shall be given to you. He's talking about prayer. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. Now, for those of you who like to study text, these commands are set in what's called the present tense active voice. Does that mean anything to anybody here? This is what it actually means. What Jesus is actually saying is, keep on asking. Don't stop asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Be persistent. Persevere when it comes to prayer. How many of you need a breakthrough in your life? You're saying, God, I'm just, I'm before you, and and I need to hear an answer from you. I need to understand what you're calling to me, or calling me to do in this hour, in this season. How many of you are in that kind of position? And how many of you have become a little bit weary in your asking, God, how many times do I need to ask you, and how many times do I need to knock, and how many times do I, he says, just keep doing it. Now, why would God do that? Because he loves to commune with you. He loves to be in relationship with you. So he's inviting you into this relationship where he's saying, deepen your relationship with me. Deepen your communion with me. Keep on asking. Keep on knocking. Keep on seeking me. And that's the beauty of this. Now, let me just make a distinction for you. Persistent prayer is different than just a long prayer. How many of you know that a long prayer can mean nothing? And that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about these long prayers. He's talking about a persistence, a devotion, a desire for prayer. Why? Because it leads into the second thing that I want you to note that Paul says. Paul says here, he says, be vigilant in it. Pray continually, and as you pray, be vigilant. You're like, well, what does it mean to be vigilant, Chris? I think a word that we might respond to more quickly is be passionate about it. The idea of vigilance is to be passionate. If you are persistent in something, it stands to reason that you're going to be passionate about it. The actual translation of that word vigilant means to be watchful or wakeful. It means to be awake. He's he's saying, listen, as you pray, wake up. How many of you have ever fallen asleep praying? I mean, you go into the prayer room, you've got great intentions. You're like, oh, this is going to be the moment. This is going to be the hour. I'm going to meet with God. And you're about 10 minutes into your prayer. And what happens? I call it having a Patmos experience. You enter into a vision. No, he's, he's saying, be passionate, be wakeful, be watchful, be alive in the fullest sense. Have all of your powers of perception and action in a state of readiness. It's the activity of your soul. S.D. Gordon writes this. He says, how much prayer meant to Jesus It was not only his regular habit, but his resort in every emergency. However slight or serious, when perplexed, he prayed. 
When hard pressed by work, he prayed. When hungry for fellowship, he found it in prayer. He chose his associates and received his messages upon his knees. If tempted, he prayed. If criticized, he prayed. If fatigued in body and wearied in spirit, he had a recourse to his one unfailing habit of prayer. Prayer brought him unmeasured power at the beginning and kept the flow unbroken and undiminished. There was no emergency, no difficulty, no necessity, no temptation that would not yield. To prayer. Now, why is passionate prayer important? Well, again, just looking at the, the life of Jesus, and I'll go through this quickly, and you can see for yourself uh, reading through the Gospels, passionate prayer, the passionate prayer of Jesus opened heaven. At his baptism, heaven opened as he was walking in obedience and communion to the Father, and the Father spoke in the midst of his passion and said, this is my Beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. In another place, we, we see Jesus looking and trying to discern who his disciples are and, and who are his followers and who are those that he's going to equip and train and make ready for the extension of the kingdom of God. And it's from passionate prayer that the Lord gives him direction. Another place we see through passionate prayer, the Lord enables Jesus and his disciples to experience the glory of the Father. We see passionate prayer impacting the lives of others as Jesus prays for the church. Passionate prayer was a part of Jesus' life. We see it in the Garden of Gethsemane. He pours out his heart to God. And it's in the place of passionate prayer that no matter what you're going through, you can pour your heart out to God. It's that place of communion where you just pour it all out. You just let it all go. Prayer from the heart that's passionate in nature is prayer that is not just something stuck in your head, but something that has made its way into your inner man and now is coming from your inmost being. Jesus said it this, he said, when you pray, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. Let it come from your heart. I was reading recently that Jews around the world can actually fax or email their prayers into Jerusalem so that their prayers make it to the Wailing Wall. Well, I don't know what you think about that, but this is what I'm going to say to you about it. Don't mail your prayers in. Make it personal. Make it passionate. Make it something between you and Jesus. Make it happen like James says, make it be effective, make it be fervent, because that kind of a prayer accomplishes much. Number three, prayer needs to come from a grateful heart or a heart filled with thanksgiving. Just look at Paul's writing. If you just want one place, everywhere where Paul writes in his epistles to the early churches that he had established, when he talks to them about prayer, he says, pray with thanksgiving. Pray with a grateful heart. Pray in, in, in a context where you're giving thanks at all times for all things. Everything you sue, say, everything you do in the name of Jesus, give thanks to God. We need to learn how to make thanksgiving an element or a part of our prayer. And that's what Paul is pointing to. He's saying to these Colossians, he says, meanwhile, when you pray, do it with thanksgiving. Let your hearts be like, why? Now, why is thanksgiving? Why is a heart of gratitude so important in the realm of prayer? 
See, you can go into prayer and your heart can be heavy in anxiety. You can go into prayer, your heart can be heavy with, with uh, 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 fear or, or uh, anger or, or all kinds of different emotions. And, and yet the scripture teaches us that when we come into the place of prayer, our hearts, the attitude of our heart should be that of thanksgiving. Well, why is that important? Well, number one, it demonstrates a dependency. That God, I'm just coming because I can't fix this and I am dependent on you. And I know that God, you're always working. Even when I don't see you working, I know that you're working. And so in the place of dependency, I'm just going to offer up thanksgiving. Thanksgiving also demonstrates that I'm in relationship with him. Now, I want you to stop for a minute and think about that. That, that when you come into the place of prayer, you're entering in, in this, this beautiful relationship, this beautiful communion with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. It's this place of re, re, relationship that's intimate. It's a place of communion. It's, it's a place where you're accepted as the beloved. It's, it's a place where God knows your name. And it's from that place of relationship that we start communing with God and we begin with gratitude. We begin with a proper attitude where we say, God, I need you, but I thank you that you're working in my situation. I thank you that even though I don't see what's happening, I know that you're doing something. And out of that is birthed in us a heart of humility. Because when you get a proper perspective in prayer and you get a proper um, uh, idea of who God is, you realize just how small you are and how great he is. And you realize that this invitation for you to come into his presence, to make your home with him, is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And the, the, the last thing that, that Paul says in the text that we're studying this morning, and I want you to note it, it says, meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. And this fourth one is, he says, pray for others. Your prayers should not just be about yourself, but they should be prayers of intercession. Intercession is about praying for others. I want you to know what's going on in Paul's life. If you're familiar with the book to, written to the Colossians, the, the epistle to the Colossians, Paul is writing this while in prison, while in chains for the preaching of the gospel. Now, if Paul was Chris, I might lead by saying, oh, and pray that this legal situation would resolve itself so that I could get back to doing the thing that God has called me to do. Pray that I would find favor with the judge and these chains that I find myself in would suddenly drop off and I would be liberated to do everything that God has called me to do. How many of you might ask people to pray that way for you if you found yourself in chains for preaching the gospel? Paul doesn't even mention that. He doesn't even say, hey, pray for me that my situation would change. Pray for me that these chains would drop off. Pray for No, he says, pray for me that when I open my mouth while in chains and in prison, that I would speak a word that would be so powerful that it would set those captives free. That's amazing to me. He's not even concerned about himself. He's like, listen. Pray that if I open my mouth, I say something that advances the kingdom of God. 
That's what intercession is all about. It's praying for others. That's why we prayed for Madison and and Kyle and the rest of the team. We prayed for them so that when they open their mouths this afternoon, something of the kingdom, something of the glory of Jesus, something of the light of the nature of of, of love and, and all that stuff would just flow out of them and it would be a light in the midst of darkness. Intercession is such an important part of this house and what we do. It's a value. We're not just praying about ourselves. We're not just praying about our issues and our stuff. No, when Paul said pray, he said pray for me that I would be more effective in this jail than I've been effective anywhere else. That's amazing to me that that's the nature of his prayer. It's just praying for others. It's praying for God's will to be done in the lives of those people around you. Intercessory prayer characterizes the prayer life of Jesus. When Jesus prayed, he was always praying for others. He was always praying about others and always asking God to break through. And I love what Hebrews 7 verse 25 says. This is one of my favorite verses in all the New Testament. It says, hence also he, that is speaking of Jesus, is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. You want me to read that again? Because do you you understand what I just read? Do you know who's praying for you right now? Sunday school answer is Jesus. But think about, think about that revelation right now. Think about what you're going through. And think about the, the, the revelation that right now Jesus knows exactly what's going on in your life. And he is making intercession for you. He's praying for you. Okay, I'm going I'm to talk to this group over here because they're kind of excited about this. Jesus is literally praying for you right now. Now, think about it. He is the living God, enduring forever, and his kingdom has no end. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. He rose on the third day and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he lives there to make intercession for you every single day. (laughs) Amen. When I think about that, I don't have words to express everything that goes off in my heart in regards to that. The fact that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who conquered sin and death, the one who sits enthroned in heaven, the one who has all authority, still has time to pray for me and for you and for my children for my grandchildren. He ever lives to make intercession for you. Now here's the beautiful part. He says, join me in this. As I pray for you, you pray for one another. Pray for each other. Why? Because that's how the kingdom expands. That's how the kingdom grows. 
Howard Hendricks, a seminary teacher and pastor, wrote this. He says, years ago in a church in Dallas, we were having trouble finding a, t a teacher for our junior high boys. And he says, the list of prospects had only one name. And when they told me who it was, I said, you got to be kidding me. I thought, that, this is my story. He says, but I couldn't have uh, been more wrong about this young man. He took the class and he revolutionized it. I was so impressed, I invited him to my home for lunch and asked him the secret of his success. He pulled out this little book, and on each page, he had a small picture of one of the boys, and under the boys' names were comments like, having trouble in math, comes to church against his parents' wishes, would like to be a missionary someday, but doesn't think he has what it takes. And then he says, I pray over these pages every day. And then he says, I can hardly wait to come to church each Sunday to see what God has done in their lives. That's a youth pastor right there. Every day he prayed for those in his class. Every day he made observation of where they were struggling. And every day he interceded for them. That's the power of intercession. And to those who were on the outside looking in, they saw a class of young junior high boys revolutionized. We're called to pray for others. Why? Because here's what intercession will do for you. Number one, it will internalize the burden of the person that you're praying for. It deepens an understanding of what they're going through. When you begin to pray for people and you begin to pray what they're going through and you're just saying, God, would you meet with them? God, would you work in their life? What the Holy Spirit begins to do is he begins to internalize the burden. That's what intercession is. And that's where the passion and the intensity comes from. Not only will, will it internalize the burden for the person that you're praying for, but it's also intercession is a great way to learn how to wait. It teaches you, it forces you to wait. How many of you are praying about something right now in regards to another individual and you've yet to see the answer? Come on, wave your hand at me. How many of you learned the value of wait? Those who wait upon the Lord, what? They renew their strength. There's this process of learning how to be renewed in the Lord through the waiting process. And that's what intercession will do more than anything else as you just wait on the Lord. Part of prayer is learning how to wait on the Lord and to see what God's going to do in the situation. Here's a beautiful part that intercession does. It opens your spiritual eyes. How many of you are familiar with 2 Kings chapter 6? 2 Kings chapter 6, Elijah is with his servant and the army of uh, uh, his, his uh, foes surrounds where they're staying and the servant gets up early in the morning and he comes back in and he says to Elijah, we are in big trouble because there's a massive army outside of uh, where we're staying and I think they're here for us. And know what Elijah does? Elijah prays for his servant, and know what he prays? He says, Lord, open his eyes and let him see what's really happening in the realm of the Spirit. And the servant looks again, and he comes back in. I love it. He goes, oh, there are more for us than there are against us. This is awesome. Listen, when we begin to pray for other people, what God does is he not only opens your eyes, but he opens their eyes. And they begin to see things differently. Listen, that's why we value prayer. Because prayer is where things 
really start happening. Prayer, intercessory prayer, aligns your heart with God's heart. That's why Paul says, listen, pray for me. Align your heart with what God's doing in this moment and pray that when I open my mouth, I might speak the mysteries of Christ with great effectiveness. As you pray for others, as I pray for you, and as you pray for me, it begins to align our hearts with the heart of God, and I begin to understand what God thinks about you. So I know how to pray for you. And then lastly, it enables us to, to move forward. It, it actually gives us that, that, that go-ahead feel, that, that let's move forward in this, and let's, let's do it together, and let's embrace this value of prayer. Could you stand to your feet as we close? I wonder where you're at today in this whole scheme of prayer. Where, where are you at when it comes to the consistency of your prayer life? Where, where are you at when it comes to how persistent you are in, in moving forward and persevering? How passionate uh, are you when it comes to prayer? Or is just prayer like this routine that you've fallen into? And, and so, you know, you get out your daily bread. And I'm not against the daily bread. Don't misunderstand me. But, you know, it's, it's kind of like, well, I'll get out the daily bread and I'll pray the prayer that's there and, uh, and, and I'll be good to go. How passionate or dispassionate are when you come to the place of prayer? I know that periodically I have to stop and I have to evaluate my own life. And I have to realize, am I trying to do more for you than I can actually accomplish? Because my prayer life is so weak that I'm actually diminished on the inside. And so instead of being, I'm, I'm trying to do more than, than I can actually accomplish because my inner man's not strong enough. And I think that's probably true of many of us in this room, that, that if we would be honest before God, that that it's not about the doing, it's about the being. That we're all doing a lot, that we're all running from here to there, trying to accomplish this, trying to accomplish that, trying to win this one, trying to win that one. And God's saying, that's all good, but if you're doing it from, from without being before you do, then, then what's gonna happen is you're gonna find your inner man diminished at some point. And you're gonna feel weary, and you're gonna feel, all of these different emotions are gonna rise like I, I already shared with you what I see sometimes in myself. Have you found yourself being short with people recently and just not knowing why? Have you found yourself just feeling like there's too many hours in the day with my doing and I don't have enough time to be? What's your situation? I know what mine is. I know what I'm addressing. I've had to go back and get before the Lord and say, God, forgive me for not just loving the fact that you've invited me into relationship with you, just to commune with you, to be with you. See, what happens for me is communion for me was almost like I, I've got to get in God's presence to find out what his assignment for me is today so that I can accomplish his will so that we can continue to advance his kingdom. Now, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But why was I coming into his presence so that I could do? And it's not that he's opposed to my doing, but he was like, I really would like it if you just came into my presence because you wanted to be with me. I, I'll, I can give you an assignment. How many of you know that he's got enough assignments to go around? He's like, it's, Chris, it's really not about the assignments. 
It's about you desiring to be with me. And I'm like, God, I know that. I've preached that. I teach that. He goes, yeah, well, why don't you do it? You don't hear many preachers be this transparent, do you? How many of you have found yourself doing and forgetting about the importance of being? Just communing with him. Just, if that's you, just come on up to the front. Let's pray together. Join me in this. Say, God, I, I want to come back to the place of sweet communion with you. That invitation just to rest there, to find a place of intimacy with you there. I've gotten all confused. I've been doing trying to do more for you, trying to honor you in this, and, and yet, Lord, I'm just, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm irritable. <laughs> I'm telling you. You've had a, an opportunity to look into the life of Chris Wood, and now you all know how to intercede for Joan. Amen. But this is such a value here in this house, and and, and I want you to join me to, to value the value of prayer. Say, God, just thank you for the invitation to commune with you, to be with you, to love you. Lord, I want to I wanna come into your presence like it's coming home. I want to dwell with you. I want to abide with you. I want to rest in your presence. I don't, I don't want to be just moving through the living room and saying good morning to you as I'm off on my day. I want to sit down and I want to dwell with you. I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. Lord, I pray not only for myself, but I pray for every person standing in this room and I pray for us here at Zion. That Lord, this value of prayer, we would truly value. This invitation to communion with you. Lord, that we would see it for what it is, that, that every one of us would embrace the call to be with you just like we're coming home, to find acceptance in your presence, to find love in your presence, to find the joy of the Lord in your presence, to realize, Lord, that even when we've fallen short, even when we've messed up, even, even when we've, we've forgotten the importance of this, the minute we turn and we come into your, life, into your presence, you receive us afresh, you receive us anew, and you show us your glory. So, Lord, just break off of us any of this duty-bound Christianity that we've said yes to, and let our doing be the overflow of our being. Come on, is that your prayer today? Just ask him. So, Lord, let my doing be the overflow of my being, not the other way around. Lord, would you come into this room, come to those who have come to you today, meet them in this moment, this moment of intimacy, readjust whatever needs to be readjusted. Lord, help us to value the value of prayer in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug. Give somebody a high five, a word of encouragement in the Lord today. Tell them to go for it, to enjoy the presence of the Lord. God bless you. Hope this message has encouraged and challenged you in your walk with God today. 
Again, this podcast is a resource of Zion Fellowship, a spirit-led and life-giving local church in Canandaigua, New York. If you'd like to learn more about us, find us at our website at zionfellowship.net or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Also, feel free to give us a call at 585-394-7450. Blessings to you as you continue in your day.